Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. He Hello, I'm Simon Morris, and if the last two years have taught me anything, it's to be careful when I take a break. Last year, no sooner had I booked a couple of weeks off when the entire country went into lockdown for weeks. This year, one week after I started my holiday, the same thing happened, though this time only half the country went into total lockdown. My powers seem to be waning. On the plus side, Dan Slevin did sterling and tireless work from his home studio. Thanks, Dan. And I wonder if the movies themselves are starting to get bigger and better this year. Hang out there, bunny. Things will get better. <laughs> Mum, it's my birthday. <sighs> Happy birthday, my beautiful Pegasus lion, unicorn girl. Just before last month's lockdown, two strong New Zealand films hit the cinemas, the gritty Justice of Bunny King and the efficiently harrowing Coming Home in the Dark. The release of both films was cruelly cut short at our cinemas by the Richard Delta variant, but hopefully they'll get a second chance on streaming services. I should probably introduce myself, shouldn't I? Mandrake. I'm a magician. I make things disappear. There's been some entertaining fare from Hollywood too, and not just the small art house films we've become used to in the so-called new normal of the past 18 months. I'm talking about real, old-fashioned and unabashed movies. Here's the deal. We fail the mission, you die. If we find out any information you give us is false, you die. If we find out you have personalised licence plates, you die. What? No. If you cough without covering your mouth... Harley, although that isn't an open invitation for you to cough without covering your mouth. The Suicide Squad was a huge improvement on its charmless predecessor. It's been so long since we've seen a DC Comics movie that was any good. A nice balance of big, funny and not quite stupid. And it was matched by odd couple Ryan Reynolds and Jodie Comer in Free Guy, a sort of Lego movie version of The Matrix. It's the first time I've ever driven a car before. I really wish you'd mention that. Yeah. Neither of these films should have worked, at least not above the bozo level, and the fact that they did was entirely down to the filmmakers, respectively James Gunn and Sean Levy. Nothing against the keen first-time filmmakers who've been encouraged to show their wares recently, but we've forgotten what experience and actual expertise can bring to the party. My father rules an entire planet. He's losing it. He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one too. 
Which is why the prospect of some of the films on offer at the recent Venice Film Festival is so exciting. This year marked the return of veterans Denis Villeneuve, that's Dune, by the way, as well as Pedro Almodovar, Edgar Wright, Paolo Sorrentino, and the popular winner of Best Director this year, Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. But before the arrival of the new, new normal, this week relaunches the nation's cinemas, only south of Auckland, unfortunately, with some more interesting first or second timers. Roots drummer Amir Thompson, Questlove to his fans, has unearthed some spectacular 1969 talent in his documentary, Summer of Soul. There were over 47 reels of footage. Miraculously, it sat in Hal Tolson's basement for 50 years. We had to restore it. I got to say, when we got that footage, it was damn near perfect. There's a biopic of the man behind the Eiffel Tower, though the young French filmmakers don't seem too tightly committed to literal truth. And there's an American film about nostalgia called Reminiscence, which has had a mixed reception at home. You're going on a journey. All you have to do is follow my voice. Equal parts Blade Runner, Casablanca, Vertigo and classic film noir double indemnity, it was an astonishingly confident piece of work by first-time director Lisa Joy. But first up, the story of the woman they called the Queen of Soul. Respect. Do you see what she is? She's a miracle. I'm usually a bit suspicious of dramatised musical biopics. Often too much work has gone into manipulating the material into some sort of classic narrative. Nothing's ever allowed to just happen. Everything has to have a dramatic cause, and if it hasn't got one already, they make one up. How is Aretha doing? Aretha's doing all right. Just all right. Respect is a pretty workmanlike telling of the early career of soul superstar Aretha Franklin. But director Liesl Tommy can't resist slipping in scenes with no purpose other than to show those songs arriving in a dramatically satisfying way. Singing is sacred, and you shouldn't do it just because somebody wants you to. What's most important is that you are treated with dignity and respect. In fact, there are several stories about how and if Otis Redding actually wrote the song Respect, none of them featuring Aretha's mum. Still, poet's licence, I suppose, and this next bit certainly happened pretty much like this. Just a little bit, yeah, baby. Just a little bit, yeah. Just a little bit. Back it to me. Just a little bit. Back it to me. Hey, Mama. What the hell? It's almost 3am. Well, we're writing a hit song. It's Otis Redding's song. Just a little bit. <laughs> Respect the movie opens with young Aretha being shown off by her preacher father to all his celebrity friends. The Reverend C.L. Franklin was a dominant figure in both gospel music and the civil rights movement. You're special, Ray. You have a talent they call genius. You've asked me. Take a bow. 
trying to do to me. How old is she? She's 10, but her voice is going on 30, honey. Aretha was singing to Martin Luther King, Sam Cooke, Art Tatum and Dinah Washington before she reached her teens. She was also precocious in other ways. Before she was out of her teens, she already had two children, though Grandma did most of the actual raising. Unsurprisingly, this part of Aretha's life isn't dwelt on. Aretha has a dark side, is all we're told. I need a change. I want to sing what I want to sing. But in fact, there always seemed to be a darkness under the surface of the Queen of Soul, most recently on display in the documentary about the making of her gospel album, Amazing Grace. There was nothing ingratiating about Aretha. She does what she does, you get out of her way. You're not about to mess this up for me. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Aretha Franklin. This song goes out to anyone who's ever felt mistreated. To its credit, Respect is prepared to touch on Aretha's short fuse and terrible luck or taste in men, going right back to her father. The Reverend Franklin and Ree spend much of the film fighting while the rest of the family duck for cover. You need to take a break. I know how to run my business. Have you lost your mind? Maybe I found it. I believe I have the chills. Yeah. Were all her brilliant soul records of the 60s and early 70s inspired by the hard times she endured, first from Dad and later from equally volatile husband Ted White? Dad certainly gets much of the blame for her unsuccessful years with Columbia Records, choosing old standards to cover rather than more contemporary material. How many albums have you had? Four. And no hits. I need you to focus and avoid frivolous distractions. Honey, find the songs that move you. Until you do that, you ain't going nowhere. In fact, it was Atlantic Records producer Jerry Wexler and a bunch of white Alabama musicians called the Swampers who put Aretha on the right path. And it's those scenes that briefly set respect alight rather than the Aretha's life by numbers of the rest of the film. I've got a single by this new chick named Aretha Franklin. It can't be denied that star Jennifer Hudson is probably the only person who could take on the role of Aretha. She can certainly act, but more important, she's also got a terrific voice. But is a classically terrific voice enough? The fact is, Aretha didn't sound like anyone else. She was a supernatural force plucking notes out of nowhere. And when the closing credits run, we see the original. Well into her 70s, Aretha Franklin was the closing act at a tribute to songwriter Carol King. Within two minutes, she's lifted the roof off the Kennedy Center, got a standing ovation and reduced President Obama to jelly. That's the power of the real thing, and I don't think you'll ever match it in a staged biopic, 
no matter how respectfully it's done. A new documentary pays tribute to a dazzling array of singers and musicians from roughly the same era as that covered by Respect. The surprising and slightly shocking thing is nobody seemed to know it happened, even though the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969 was filmed in its entirety. Welcome to the Harlem Cultural Festival. Here in the Harlem Nineteen sixty nine was an extraordinary year, in many ways just as remarkable as the rather more publicized events of the year before. Nineteen sixty eight was a year of political unrest, assassinations, riots, the escalating war in Vietnam, and the election of President Richard Nixon. Gladys Knight Now when I stepped on stage, I was totally, totally taken aback because I didn't expect a crowd like that. And the pits! Nineteen sixty nine was the year of the moon landing, the culmination of youth culture at Woodstock and its premature demise with the Manson murders. But in Harlem, New York, these issues were less important than the rise of black consciousness. And in many ways, the artists on display in this documentary, called Summer of Soul, eclipsed many of those at the Hippie Festival at Woodstock. And you knew it was something bigger. The Fifth Dimension, B.B. King, The Staples Singers, featuring a young Mavis Staples, the even younger Stevie Wonder, who just the year before was still being billed as Little Stevie, the hard-driving Chambers Brothers. Six weekends of major artists. The Panthers were the security and kids were sitting up on the trees. And all this brilliant music was being covered by a local TV station. And I have to say, often covered rather better than the high-powered film crews shooting the Woodstock movie. For one thing, all the events at Harlem took place in daylight. You can see everything. I was nervous. I didn't expect a crowd like that. Something very important was happening. It wasn't just about the music. 1969 was a change of era in the black community. You can not only see the artists. Did I mention gospel diva Mahalia Jackson, jazz greats like Hugh Masekela and Mongo Santa Maria, and the divine Gladys Knight and the Pips, but also the audience, entirely black and about to make some big changes. We are a new people. We are a beautiful people. That concert took my life from black and white into color. We wanted progress. We are black people and we should be proud of this. 
The music may have been the big attraction then and now, but it was only part of what was going on in 1969. Suddenly, black America was no longer interested in being treated like well-behaved Negroes waiting to be given civil rights or troublemakers when things went badly. Singer Nina Simone spoke for everyone at this festival. Are you ready, black people? Are you really ready? Are you ready to listen to all the beautiful black voices, the beautiful black feeling, the beautiful black waves moving in beautiful air? Are you ready, black people? Are you ready? So why has it taken over 50 years for this extraordinary footage to reach the screen? When musician and director of Summer of Soul, Amir Questlove-Thompson, was handed the original videotapes, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. 50,000 beautiful people here in Mount Morris Park. I gotta admit, I'd never heard of the Harlem Cultural Festival. My producers, Robert Fivillant, Joseph Patel, and David Dennerstein, they showed me that footage. This was real. In the end, these recordings barely got a screening from the TV station who'd commissioned them. They became almost an urban legend, even among the people who'd been there. Did it really happen, or was it just a dream? You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. It's significant that the standout act of the Harlem Cultural Festival was also one of the major highlights at the subsequent mostly white Woodstock Festival a month later. When Sly and the Family Stone took the stage, pretty much everything changed. We're going to try to sing a song together. Don't wait for your neighbour, because your neighbour might be waiting for you. Some of the family stone were black, some were white, two of the musicians were women, but above all they brought the funk like no one before and very few since. But one thing that made very little impact on Harlem was the famous moon landing, which happened in the middle of one of the concerts. Director Questlove was shocked to hear some booing when it was announced. The phrase people used, whiteys on the moon, summed up the feeling. They could spend all that money going into outer space, but they couldn't spend anything on poverty in the community. For Harlem, the cultural festival was rather more significant, and it was free. We believed in what we felt in here. So when we went up... Let's go. Let's go do it. It must be frustrating for an ambitious film studio with its hands on a world-famous name who defies all your best efforts to make a movie about him. Take the case of Gustave Fifel. Gustave himself may barely ring a bell, but as soon as you hear Eiffel Tower, everyone says, oh, of course, in various languages. 300 meters. Entièrement en métal. Un défi à la gravité. Aux éléments. Cette tour, messieurs, c'est Paris. 
In fact, Monsieur Eiffel constructed the equally famous American Statue of Liberty, as well as dozens of other impressive bridges, viaducts, theatres and edifices. A biopic was assured as far back as 1997. But years, then decades, passed and no progress was made. There didn't seem to be much to the story apart from the building of the famous tower against some opposition from the powers that be. It was producer Caroline Bongrand who had the bright idea of making up a forbidden love story, hiring glamorous movie star Romain Dury to play Eiffel and hot Anglo-French star Emma Mackey as the married lover Adrienne. In the time it takes to write the phrase very loosely based on real life, the film took off to great success at home. It is Now, the good news about Eiffel is it looks wonderful, capturing the landscape of Paris in the 1880s around the time of the famous World's Fair. A tower is suggested as France's contribution, but Eiffel is unimpressed by its stature, a mere 200 metres tall, and its shape. He dismisses it as a pylon. C'est moche. On peut monter jusqu'à 200 mètres. L'obélisque de Washington ne mesure que 169 mètres. En somme, c'est qui montera le plus haut. Eiffel is urged to improve it. He is, don't forget, the world's leading magician of steel. But he's strangely reluctant. Why build a tower that's going to come down after a few months, he says. Oh, Gustave, says his friend Antoine, you never want surprises. Et vous êtes qui Gustave Eiffel. T'as pensé l'exposition universelle J'ai pas recommencé. No sooner has this clunky line been delivered when Gustave gets a big surprise. Who is this glamorous woman at this important formal dinner? She turns out to be Adrienne, the wife of Antoine, who I forgot to mention is in charge of fundraising the World's Fair edifice. Gustave is stunned, and not just by Adrienne's beauty. It turns out she was a significant figure in his past. I wanted to forget you, he tells her, rather ungraciously. However, any explanatory flashbacks are interrupted when the other dinner guests urge Eiffel to come up with a bright idea. Be audacious, says Adrienne, looking significantly at him. Eiffel? Oui, pardon. Il y avoir des idées sur le sujet du concours? Il faut voir plus libre, plus audacieux. Eiffel finally agrees to take over, but he'll make the tower not 200, but 300 metres tall. It will represent France, he tells them. Easier said than done, of course, apart from the many technical problems to be overcome. There's that little matter of an affair with Adrienne to negotiate behind her husband's back. Pourquoi tu m'as pas tout dit Je te parle pas d'amour. Je te parle de réputation. 
All very French, of course, so now there's the threat of a scandal on top of the tower exceeding its budget and the workforce wondering when and if they're going to get paid. Can Eiffel turn his fortunes round? Will he and Adrienne ever find true love? Will the tower ever be built or will it remain an impossible dream? Cette tour, les gars, c'est celle de la France. C'est surtout la vôtre, la nôtre. C'est ensemble qu'on l'a commencé. C'est ensemble qu'on va l'achever. Since we already know the answer to at least one of these questions, the suspense level remains at a quiet bubble rather than a pressing force. And since much of this story seems to be fiction, your interest in Eiffel will rest entirely on the appeal of the two attractive leads and the fact that the Eiffel Tower is undeniably an impressive piece of work. Reminiscence is the debut feature film of writer-director Lisa Joy, known, if at all, as the co-creator of the TV series Westworld. It is rather hard to find, playing in only a handful of cinemas here. Back in the States, it did terrible business, despite some enthusiastic reviews. You're going on a journey. A journey through memory. All you have to do is follow my voice. Reminiscence opens in Miami, but not Miami as we know it. The waters have risen, and now much of the city is made up of canals, like Venice. We meet Nick, played by Hugh Jackman, who's found a way to make the new setup work for him. When the waters began to rise and war broke out, nostalgia became a way of life. There wasn't a lot to look forward to. We're told, much of the trailer is made up of exposition, that after global warming affected the coast, war broke out, the rich got richer, the poor got poorer, and the only thing in high demand was memories. Nick and his offsider Watts, Thandaway Newton, have developed a device that can access their clients' pasts. So people began looking back. Nothing is more addictive than the past. In the miserable present, the past became the biggest drug on the market. People would hire Nick to send them back to their fondest memories. And then one day, of all the memory-jogging venues in all the world, she has to walk into Nick's. We're closed. I know. I'm sorry it's late. We have time for one more job. Her name's May, and she needs to go back in time to find where she left something important. Nick discovers she's a club singer with a shady past, a singer who just happens to do a great version of one particular song. We looked at each other in the same way then But I can't remember when or where no, it's not as time goes by, though Rogers and Hart's Where or When is from roughly the same era. But Nick falls for May just as hard as Rick fell for Ilsa in Casablanca. That machine of yours, how close can you get before the illusion's broken? 
In fact, like Ingrid Bergman, Rebecca Ferguson is Swedish, and she and Jackman play the Bogart-Bergman thing for all it's worth. Reminiscence keeps hitting film buff notes throughout, particularly when, like in all good noir mysteries, May suddenly vanishes. I understand. She's moved on, and you should too. People don't just vanish. To find where she'd gone, I had to know where she'd been. Nick is driven mad, wondering what happened, refusing any help from Girl Friday Watts. What did you really know about her, asks Watts. And who are these shady figures who also seem to be on her tail? Was she running from the past? Or racing back towards it? How much did you really know her? How much did you love Who was she? Who was she when not with me? Reminiscence is a parade of plot devices from classic old movies, of course, particularly movies that dealt with the deceptively corrosive nature of memory. The look is all 70s sci-fi, like the original Blade Runner, as Nick chases May through the mean, watery streets of the future. There are sinister nightclubs full of dangerous guys like Cliff Curtis. You think you are answers? Well, you don't. Where is she? Where is she? There's also rather more punch-drunk voiceover than you need. It was too much narration that nearly scuppered the original Blade Runner, you may remember, before Ridley Scott managed to get his hands back on the film and get rid of it all. Arson, bribery, murder. People love their secrets. Don't go down this path. Stay here. In this life. Like Blade Runner, Reminiscence is a lot better than its early American reputation may suggest, but it's not perfect. It's a bit long, the ending may not be to all tastes, but it's a real movie with real characters played by real stars. Thandaway Newton is particularly cool. And ironically, for a film about the dangerous appeal of the past, it's absolutely soaking in nostalgia. Well, time's gone by on this show. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.